Waiting is tough, isn't it? For kids and adults alike. None of us like to wait. Uh, I read an article a couple weeks ago about a smaller airport uh, that was getting a lot of complaints about how long it took uh, for the bags to get from the plane to the gate. So people were having to wait so long at the carousel. And so they, the first thing they did is they hired uh, some more baggage handlers. And this is impressive. They actually decreased the time from when the plane arrived at the gate until the gates arrived at the, car- the bags arrived at the carousel to eight minutes, which is amazing and way under the, the industry average. But still they kept getting all these complaints. So they uh, looked further into it, and what they found is because of the layout of this small airport, it only took one minute for people to walk from the gate to the carousel, so they had to wait for seven minutes for their bags, and they were frustrated and complaining. So they did something that seems counterintuitive, but it's actually genius. They moved the gate farther away from the carousel, (laughs) and complaints plummeted. Isn't that fascinating? We would rather walk farther than wait longer. Waiting is hard. But as we're seeing in this Advent series, it's a critical part of the Christian life. It's one of the ways that God shapes us by his grace into the people he meant us to be. So as much as we may dislike waiting, as followers of Jesus, we need to learn to wait well. This morning we're going to be reading from Romans chapter 8, one of the most powerful and beautiful chapters in all of Scripture. It's not typically thought of as an Advent chapter, but as we're going to see together, today's passage has a lot to say about waiting well. Listen as I read Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 18. Hear the word of the Lord. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. May God bless the reading of his word. We're just a couple of weeks away from Christmas, and one of the things that means is that pretty soon, uh, a large number of us will pack our bags, load up the car, and head out on a road trip to see family. Now, if you have a child in the back seat under the age of maybe, let's say, eight or nine years old, and if your trip is longer than maybe an hour or so, the chances are really good that you're going to hear a certain question from the back seat at some point of the trip. You know what the question is? Are we there yet? Hey, good job, kids. Yes. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? I saw a commercial the other day that, that I really loved. It's based on that question. Take a look at this commercial. Are we there yet? No. Are we there yet? No, querido. Are we there yet, Pedro? No, mija. Are we there yet, Mr. President? No. Todavía no. Are we there yet? Not yet.
You're welcome, Toyota, for the product placement uh, in today's service. <laughs> uh, I, I love that commercial because it, it taps into our longing for something more. You know, that question, are we there yet, is not just applicable to kids in the back seat. It's a question all of us ask, isn't it? Not just how long do I have to sit here before I can get out of the car, but really the question is, is there more to this in life or is this it? As Jack Nicholson asked in a movie many years ago, is this as good as it gets? Well, I think if you were to ask Paul that question, he would say, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Look at verse 18, the beginning of our passage. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Are we there yet? Not on your life. Paul says something is coming that is so good, so amazing, so beautiful that you can't even compare it to the difficulties we're facing right now. I think this verse is really a great summary of of the rest of the passage. Uh, Paul's giving us a a summary statement where he's going to compare our here, present sufferings, with our there, the glory that will be revealed in us. And then he's going to talk about what do you do in the back seat while you're waiting to get there. So first I want us to look at our here. Our here is present suffering. Now I know I probably don't need to spend too much time convincing you that our here is filled with suffering, do I? I mean, when Paul tells us that our our present experience is characterized by suffering, I wanna respond with a highly theological phrase I learned in middle school. It goes like this. Yeah, no duh. It's a bit obvious, right? But I do wanna dig into it just a little bit. And if I had to sum up this section of the message in a sentence, it would be this. Creation is beautiful, but broken. Creation is beautiful, but broken. When God created the heavens and earth in Genesis one, it says he saw all that he had made and it was very good. And we know this, right? Creation is beautiful. If you've ever been to the Rocky Mountains and seen the majestic peaks standing in stark relief against that brilliantly blue Colorado sky. If you've ever been out in the country on a dark night and been overwhelmed by the innumerable stars in the sky. If you've ever witnessed uh, the birth uh, of a baby and seen that miracle of new life. If you've seen the, the, the amazing love between a husband and wife, or, or you've seen a Michelangelo sculpture, or you've heard a Beethoven symphony, you know creation is beautiful, right? But if you've lived very long, you also know it's broken. It's broken. The world is filled with, with pain, with suffering, with war, with evil. You look around and, and you can see things are not the way they're supposed to be. Paul says it this way in verse 20. He says, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. And then in the very next verse, he says that creation is in bondage. It's in bondage to decay. What's he talking about here? Well, quick Bible history lesson. The first two chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, tell the story about how God created the universe, including the first humans. And it was beautiful. It was perfect. There was no death, no sickness, no suffering, no war, no hatred, just Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden enjoying the presence of God. But it didn't last long. In Genesis 3, the very next chapter, something tragic happened. Sin entered the world. Satan tempted Adam and Eve to doubt God's goodness. And they turned away from their loving creator and toward their own selfish desires. They thought their way was better than God's way, and the result was disastrous. And ever since that moment, you and I have been repeating Adam and Eve's 
sin. We've been worshiping something other than God. And ever since, we as humans have been reaping the consequences of that fall as we harm one another, as we harm ourselves over and over. And that sin didn't just damage us, it actually damaged all of creation. This is fascinating. Uh, In Genesis 3, when God was talking with Adam after he and Eve sinned, he said this. He said, cursed is the ground, not just you, cursed is the ground because of you. It'll produce thorns and thistles for you. And this passage, Genesis 3, is just what Paul's talking about when he says that the creation was subjected to frustration. Because of Adam and Eve's sins, creation itself was cursed. It's still beautiful, but now it's broken. Now hurricanes ravage the coast and and wildfires and floods ravage everything else. And you know, it's not just on the macro level, right? Even on the micro level, we we see this. Creation is, is broken. It's in bondage to decay. Everything wears out. Everything breaks. If you ever doubt it, just buy a house or a car. You will find out soon enough, right? And everything breaks usually when, right after the warranty expires, right? But it's not just stuff that breaks, is it? It's us, it's our bodies too. We are in decay. Look at verse 23. Paul says, not only so, but we ourselves, we ourselves groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for uh, our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. It's not just automobiles and appliances that break, right? It's our bodies. I turned 49 uh, this year and uh, some mornings I, I feel all of those years. Uh, A couple weeks ago, I tried a new workout that involved a lot of lunges. I don't know the last time you did lunges, but I have to tell you, for the next two days, my legs hurt so badly that if I was standing and needed to sit down or sitting and needed to stand up, I had to think long and hard about whether it was worth it. (laughs) It's not just sore muscles, though, right? Our bodies break down. They get injured. They get sick. And eventually, even for the healthiest among us, They die. In that very same conversation that Adam and Eve had with God, God says these haunting words. He says, dust you are, and to dust you will return. Creation's broken. But, praise God, that's not the end of the story, is it? Here is not the end. We're not there yet. Paul says this suffering that characterizes our here is not all there is. It's not Pointless. Check out verse 22. This is, this is fascinating to me. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Now that is fascinating. You know, I've read this verse all my life and I've just thought, well, he's just looking for an, an image uh, of something painful and he picks childbirth. But I think it's more intentional than that because creation isn't groaning like someone dying. Creation is groaning like someone giving birth. It's a big difference, isn't there? Now, I've never personally given birth, but I do have two kids, and I was there when it happened. I watched the whole thing, and it seemed like it was at least a little bit painful for Joanna. It wasn't a walk in the park for me either, by the way. There weren't enough chairs in the room, and I had to stand up for like two hours straight. I mean, my feet hurt. It's hard. Giving birth is painful, but it leads somewhere, doesn't it? Labor pains are not pointless. Listen, labor pains are the necessary prelude to the miracle of new life. And Paul says, in the same way, our present suffering is the necessary prelude to a glorious future. Our here may be present suffering, but our there is future glory. 
Are there is future glory. Remember, that's what he said at the beginning. We said verse 18 was the summary. He said, our, our present sufferings uh, are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. In other words, when Christ returns as king, the glory and beauty that we experience will make the suffering we experience now pale in comparison. If I could sum this section up in a sentence, it would be this. Creation is broken, but the future is bright. For those of us who have put our trust in Jesus, for those of us who have been adopted into God's family by his grace, our future is bright, friends. Are there what we will experience when Christ returns as king is future glory. Let's break that down. Future glory sounds a little abstract, but let's talk about what exactly does that mean. Start with verse 19. Paul says, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Paul says this there that creation is waiting for is for the children of God to be revealed. What that means is that when Jesus returns, our transformation will be complete. Those who have received Christ's grace will be revealed in their final glorious state. One of our church's core values is under construction. The idea is that uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, God is at work in us. We're being transformed into the image of Jesus. God's doing a, a construction project on our hearts that makes us more like him. Now, sometimes the progress is slow. Sometimes it feels like uh, the way they're working on Beltline over here in South Coppell. It feels like it's going to last forever. You ever get frustrated with yourself wishing you were more mature than you were? Maybe that's just me. Man, I consistently get discouraged and frustrated. But listen, this project, this renovation project will not last forever. One day it will be finished. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to carry it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Think about this for a minute. One day you will be completely freed from sinning. One day your sinful nature will be eradicated. Isn't that an amazing thought? An amazing thought. One, one, day, one day, by God's grace, you will be a perfect reflection of the character of Jesus Christ. Man, I cannot wait for that day. And when this happens, it's not just going to impact us. It's going to impact all of creation. Look at verse 21. Paul says, the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. When Christ returns, we won't be the only ones who are transformed. Creation itself will be set free from this seemingly endless slavery to death and decay. And it's going to be restored to that original beauty and glory that we talked about from Eden. And it will last forever. Did you know that the Bible teaches that when Christ returns, the earth will be recreated? You know, sometimes we have this image in our mind uh, that, that we're just going to be spending all of eternity floating around in the clouds. But friends, that's, that's Hollywood. That's not scripture. The Bible teaches consistently, especially in Isaiah, 2 Peter, and Revelation, uh, that when Christ returns, we have a new heaven and a new earth to look forward to. Now, I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. But I got to tell you, when I, when I read Revelation 21 and 22, this description of the new heaven and the new earth, man, my heart begins to race. It's so beautiful. Larry's preaching on uh, that next week, so I don't want to steal his thunder, but I just want to just tell you, this new creation is going to be beautiful beyond our wildest imaginations. 
Uh, Larry told me before the service that he promised in next week's sermon to answer all your questions about the new creation, uh, including if there are mosquitoes there. So uh, don't, don't miss it. He promised. When, when Christ returns, he's going to complete the renovation of our character. He's going to restore creation to its original beauty. And then look, look what Paul says next in verse 23. He says, not only so, but we ourselves groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship the redemption of our bodies. That phrase, adoption to sonship, by the way, kind of a unique phrase. It means that we'll receive our full rights as sons and daughters of God. And one of those rights, he says, is the redemption of our bodies. This future glory won't just impact our character. It won't just impact creation. It'll actually transform our physical material bodies as well. We talked a moment ago about how our bodies are beautiful but broken, how they break down and decay. But friends, praise God, that's a temporary situation. God isn't just going to save our souls. He's going to redeem our bodies. I love how Charles Spurgeon puts this. He says, God will one day change our bodies and make them fit for our souls. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? When Christ returns, not only will our character internally reflect Jesus, our physical bodies will as well. The Bible tells us that he will transform our lowly bodies to be like Jesus's glorious body. We're gonna have bodies like Jesus had after his resurrection, bodies that don't break down or wear out, bodies that don't get cancer or COVID, bodies that don't need eyeglasses or knee replacements. Friends, for those who are in Christ Jesus, our future is bright, it's bright. God is reversing the curse of Genesis 3 and making everything new, making everything new. Our here may be present suffering, but our there is future glory. Now, in in just a minute, uh, we're going to talk about what we're supposed to do between here and there. But first, I want to point out one more thing about our future glory that I think is so fascinating. Look back at verse 19 again for a minute. It says, for the creation waits in eager expectation. And you would think that, that he would say, for God to fix everything, wouldn't you? Or you would think it would say, for God is waiting in eager, for creation waits in eager expectation for Christ to return. But instead he says, it waits for the children of God to be revealed. And then a couple of verses down, it says, the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory. And again, you would think it would say of God, but it doesn't, it says, of the children of God. It's interesting, right? What's going on here? Well, what Paul is saying is that as God's children, we get to play a part in what God is planning to do in the new creation. And in fact, he tells us that was the plan all along. From the very beginning, God's plan was for humankind to reflect his good and glorious rule to creation. His plan was for us to be his stewards caring for and ruling over everything that he made. Check out Genesis 1, 28, back in that creation uh, account. After God creates the world, he says this to Adam and Eve. He says, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. And then check this out. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. See that? God's initial plan for us was to care for and steward his good creation, to rule over it as a reflection of his self-giving love. 
But when the fall happened in Genesis 3, we defaulted on that calling. And we failed to live up to the vocation that God gave us. And because of it, the ground was cursed. And unfortunately, as you know, that wasn't a one-time failure, was it? Instead of stewarding creation, far too often we as humans have exploited it. Instead of being grateful for and caring for God's good creation, we've so often harmed it because of our self-centeredness. But praise God, by his grace, that's not the end of the story. His good plan is to restore and renew creation and to redeem our bodies and also to restore us to that original vocation that he had in mind for us where together with Jesus, we rule in love over God's good creation. This is amazing to me. Revelation 5 paints a picture of what you and I, those of us who are in Christ, will be doing throughout eternity. And it says, you have made them, that's the believers in Christ, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And look at it. They will reign on the earth. And that's why, that's why Paul says that creation can't wait for the children of God to be revealed. Creation is waiting for us to do what God created us to do. As theologian N.T. Wright puts it, the creation is waiting for the freedom it will enjoy when God gives to his children that glory, that wise rule and stewardship that was always intended for those who bear God's glorious image. Friends, what a, what a beautiful and glorious future we have ahead of us. When Jesus returns as king, we will be like him in our character. We will be like him in our bodies that he has redeemed. He will renew creation and we will reign with him forever. Friends, what a glorious future we share. As good as that, as that is, though, as amazing as it is to think about it, it still leaves a question, doesn't it? And the question is, what do we do in the meantime? I mean, there sounds pretty awesome, but I'm not there yet. I'm here, right? And here is hard. Here is hard. Well, in the time that remains, I want to talk about the time between here and there. And when I think about this in-between time, it reminds me of an old song. I want to play a clip of it for you. Joanna made me promise not to dance, I'm sorry. Uh, you remember this song, right? Stuck in the Middle? I think that's a pretty good description of where we find ourselves between here and there. We feel stuck, don't we? Between Jesus' incarnation and his return. Because on the one hand, we've already been rescued, right? We've already been forgiven. But here Paul is talking about something that hasn't happened yet. And even in the same chapter, uh, verse 8, look at this. In verse 15, he says, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. That's past tense, right? But then look in our passage, he says, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship. Future tense. So which is it, right? Have we already been adopted into God's family or are we still waiting to be adopted into God's family? And the answer is both. It's both. This, this is a tension that theologians often call already, not yet. Already, not yet. What they mean by that phrase is that in one sense, we've already been saved. We've already been adopted into God's family. We've already received his spirit. We've already been given, as Ephesians says, every spiritual blessing in Christ. In one sense, the kingdom has already come. But in another sense, 
We're still waiting to experience all those things in their fullness, aren't we? We're still waiting for God to complete that good work that he began. We're still waiting for him to finish the transformation of our character. We're still waiting for him to release us from our bondage to decay and creation is waiting. We're still waiting for him to redeem our bodies. And and so in that sense, the kingdom is not yet here. And so we find ourselves stuck in the middle between here and there. We find ourselves between Thanksgiving and Christmas, these times of celebration, we find ourselves in Advent, recognizing that we're still waiting. We're still groaning. Those who have trusted their lives to Christ are saved. But in the words of pastor and theologian John Stott, we're only half saved. Does that phrase jolt you a little bit, half saved? It jolted me a little bit when I, when I first read it. So let me explain. Sod is not saying that we're half forgiven or that we have to keep working to earn our salvation or or, or that our eternal destiny is in doubt far from it. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is we're not there yet. There's, There's a part of the kingdom that is still not yet. Sod says it this way. He says, we've been saved from the guilt and bondage of our sins and from the just judgment of God upon them, yet we remain only half saved. For the final vestiges of sin and our human personality have not yet been eradicated. Not yet has our sinful nature been obliterated. Not yet has our body been redeemed. So here we are, stuck in the middle, on our way to a glorious future, but not there yet. So what do we do? What do we do in the back seat, so to speak? Well, Paul gives us the answer at the end of his passage. Look with me at verse 23. Paul says, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. And then down in verse 25, he says, if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So what do we do in the back seat? We wait eagerly and we wait patiently. We wait eagerly and we wait patiently. First, we wait eagerly. We remind ourselves of the amazing things that are ahead of us. And we refuse to give in to pessimism or or cynicism. But instead, we choose to trust God. We thank him for this amazing gift of the Holy Spirit, but we recognize that as wonderful as it is to have the joy and the peace and the comfort of the Spirit inside us, we recognize that it's just the first fruits. It's just the appetizer. And there's an entire harvest of his spirit of goodness and love and joy that still lies before us that we will experience one day soon. As we wait eagerly, we devote ourselves to prayer. We pray the way that Jesus taught us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then as we wait eagerly, we devote ourselves to letting God use us as one of the ways that that prayer gets answered. You know, the, the, the project is not going to be completed until Christ returns, but that doesn't mean that it's not ongoing. That doesn't, meaning that, we, that doesn't mean that we can't partner with God right now as he begins this new creation project. Friends, that's why our church does what it does. That's why we do the Christmas store. It's why we teach English to immigrants. It's why we partner with local schools. It's why we build houses in the valley. It's why we share the light of Christ uh, with, with, with preschoolers and their families. We're partnering with God in this new creation project. 
We're shining the light of Christ into every dark place that we can find. We wait eagerly, but we also wait patiently. We wait patiently, recognizing that God's timing is perfect. And that somehow, somehow in the mystery of his will, he will use this time of waiting, as painful as it may be, for his glory and for our ultimate good. So we refuse to give in to impatience or bitterness. We recognize that, that as Jesus said, in this world we will have trouble. It's part of the deal. It's part of the human experience. We recognize that as long as we live in this broken world, we're going to have to deal with sickness. We're going to have to deal with weakness, with pain, with decay. As long as we live in this world, you and I are going to have to continue to fight against that sinful nature that just won't seem to let go. We're going to have to face heartache and tragedy and loss. In this world, we will have trouble, but friends, we take heart because we know that Jesus has overcome the world. Jesus has won the victory. And we remember that even in our present suffering, Jesus is still at work. He's still at work today. And one day he will wipe every tear from our eyes. He will, and we will reign with him forever and ever. We wait eagerly and we wait patiently. I started the sermon talking about how kids in the back seat ask that question, are we there yet? I was thinking about that uh, a couple days ago and I thought, you know, they do ask that question, but there's one question that they never ask. Never have I ever heard uh, a seven or eight year old in the back seat say, hey dad, don't you think we ought to take 281 instead of 35? I mean, because the traffic and everything. Never ask it. They never ask that. Our kids might get impatient and ask if we're there yet, but they never second guess the route we're taking to get there. You know why? Because the kid in the back seat trusts the person in the front seat. They know that the person driving loves them, wants the best for them, and ultimately will safely take them just where they need to go. Friends, I know life is tough. Sometimes There's no getting around that. I know the journey is difficult. I know some days it seems long. But you can trust the driver. Our good and loving Father is in complete control and he will safely carry us until that day when we hear him saying to us lovingly, my son, my daughter, we're there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we just want to confess that life is tough. Life is so hard sometimes, and sometimes we just want to ask, are we there yet? Thank you so much for the promise of this scripture that there's more to come. That despite the challenges that we face today, when when we are with you face to face, when we are with Jesus, when he returns as king, we're going to say, you know what? That suffering we had, it's not even worth comparing. Not even worth comparing with the glory that we're experiencing now. We thank you for your grace and for the opportunity to begin even now as we wait eagerly and as we wait patiently, to begin even now in being a part of what you're doing in us and through us to the world. In Christ's name we pray.
Amen.